The Magic Book Club Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Book Club Podcast. My name is Tom Price. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. We are talking to a debut author. Uh, she's called Sarah Collins and she's got a fantastic new gothic novel set in the 1820s in London. It's called The Confessions of Franny Langton. Let's meet Sarah. You're listening to the Magic Book Club Podcast. My name is Tom Price. Welcome along. Thanks for joining us. We've got the fabulous Sarah Collins, uh, whose debut... The Confessions of Franny Langton is out, not just now, but today. Today, this very minute. It's Amazing. pub day today. So really pu- exciting. I mean, every this day. This is like the day I've been dreaming about for I don't know how long. And, right. and you're the very first person I'm seeing. Am I really? Yeah. I feel very honoured, I do too. I better do a good interview in that case. So the pressure is on. It is. Oh, gosh, what's the, what's the first question I should ask? Um, well, tell me, like... When did you first want to write a book? Let me ask you that question in order to give us some context for how big it must be to find yourself now on publication. Yeah, I mean, I think, I I can't remember a time when I didn't want to write a book. Mm. Honestly, that is such a cheesy answer, but it's true. Mm. I, as long as I can remember, I have loved books. I've thought they were magic. I was one of those nerdy young bookworms. Yeah. And not only did I always want to do it, but I always thought I could. I always thought I would. It's just that I had that real conviction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then I had one of those birthdays recently, like one of those milestone birthdays where they should basically ice your cake with the words, congratulations, you're now too old to be a debut anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, if you don't write that book... You'll never write it. That was your incentive, so time passing. <laughs> that was my incentive. Also, you've done that thing with uh, with Franny. You've sewn in the love of books into your character because she is incredibly literary, especially considering where she is and what's going on in her life. That's a big surprise that she offers everyone, isn't it? That she's she's literate for a start. Yes. And she loves words and books. Um, so is that a bit of you coming into Franny there? That is so much of me, and I hasten to add that's probably one of the only bits of me because Franny is quite a dark, <laughs> dark person in many ways. But that core of her, her love for books and what it does for her, how it's both wonderful and terrible at the same time, yeah. is is kind of the autobiographical book. But I hate to talk about any aspects of the book being autobiographical because there are so many dark things in this book. It would be very I worrying. worry that my friends and family will <laughs> wonder who they've been spending time with. I know. Well, I've just spent 10 days in your head and it's an awful place, Sarah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's dark. I mean, so tell us a bit about Franny Langton. Tell us a bit about this story. Where do we begin this, this journey? So Franny is a young Jamaican woman and she grows up on the Paradise Plantation in Montego Bay. Um, but she is when she's about 19, she's brought to London by John Langton and given as a gift to George Benham, who's a famous natural philosopher. Mm-hmm. The two of them have been up to some very devious things that they've involved Franny in. I mean, devious, um, devious sounds light. <laughs> really sick and twisted stuff. I mean, yeah, it's very gothic. Right. Okay. Very gothic. It's, 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 it's a bit Frankenstein. When I wrote... The paradise bit, I was thinking, you know, these men and their creation, in a way they see Franny as their creation. They think they're responsible for education. Mm. I won't spoil why or what their motives were. Mm. But they're also up to these really sinister experiments. And so Franny hasn't had a great start in life. But when she comes to London, she meets Madame Benham, who's George Benham's wife. And she's instantly obsessed with her, like instant attraction. The two of them have this very twisted love affair. And Franny thinks she's found love at last. But then months later... Benham and his wife are discovered murdered. Mm. Madame stabbed to death in her bed with Franny lying next to her covered in blood. And Franny swears she couldn't have done it. She insists she could not have killed the only person she ever loved. Mm. Um, but her lawyer urges her to write her confessions from Newgate Prison. And, and so she's telling us her life story in an attempt to convince us that she just couldn't have done this thing. So that's the image the book begins with. Yes. She's there, there's blood everywhere. 
these people are dead. Yes. And you kind of think, I mean, that's a good opening statement, isn't it? It's a good opening gambit for this so. novel. I hope yeah. it's one that will get people turning pages, yeah. Yeah, well, it did. It did me. It did me. I loved it. And it was a great, I mean, I loved the description of uh, of paradise, which is not an accurate word to describe that place. It was amazing. It was fascinating. But also London in the 18, when is it, 1820s when she's there? Yes. It's a really... 19th century. Isn't that a great period in English history? So yes. rich. Because there's, we're sort of modern, there's modern elements going on, but at the same time still medieval. Yeah, it's it's that period where everything was pulling away from the past. It's like the sort of apex of the Enlightenment. Yeah. Um, people were really congratulating themselves on how much progress was being made, but there were so many people being left behind, and the book is concerned about women and black people in particular. Mm. You know, mm. all these wonderful men of the Enlightenment and, you know, the real progress that was being made in terms of the rights of the individual and how the individual was looked at. Mm. Um, but that applied really only to the men. They were very sort of self-referencing, um, and they didn't acknowledge women or anyone other than white people in this sort of the great scope of humanity. Yes, there was still there was, there was a lot of cruelty in this yes. book and it's a difficult read at times. And, you know, the the race stuff I find incredibly, um, um, well, it's really moving and really hard to get through. Like the, the N-word has dropped a lot. These guys just casually throwing it around. It has a visceral impact on me reading yes. it. it. It's incredibly powerful. And that because I was attempting to be true to the time. Of course. Is exactly how casual people were about it. Mm. Um, so I was, you know, for me it was quite difficult because I was writing about a period of time during which the, there was actually serious debate about whether or not black people were human. You know, mm. Thomas Jefferson said, no black has ever uttered a thought above the level of pure narration. Um, and that was the context in which I was writing as a black woman and also envisaging this black woman who... What I wanted to set her apart from the black characters you'd normally see in historical fiction is that she's highly educated yeah. and the most intelligent person in every room. You know, the irony is she's way more intelligent than these men with their sort of misguided experiments. Yes, um, yes. And she sees the truth where they don't. Yeah, yeah, but she doesn't yeah. really have an outlet to express it. No, that's right. So she's completely frustrated yeah. at every step of the way. It's incredibly... Um, yeah, it's it's very, it's hard to read. It's hard to read because of that because you're so with her, uh, and you oh, so want to overcome. I did all yeah. of that very deliberately. Good, good yanking, choices. Yanking your emotions from here to there. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I love that world. I love the underworld. I love uh, when so when Franny goes off. She, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but with, but we can talk about the spanking parlor because that's, that's my favorite bit. Unless about. is it very PG on magic? Well, you know, maybe this bit <laughs> on the podcast that's fine. This bit maybe may not make it to the breakfast show, but but th- th- that's actually a really important point because there's so many elements to it. Like any good period fiction, which I think uh, almost belittles this book a little bit, but any good period fiction, you you go back in time and you assume that it's going to be a completely different world, and yet there are things which you look at and go, well, that still happens. How were they doing that then? I don't understand. I thought they were a different species back then, yes. but they've still got the same desires they've still got the same urges and thus we end up at this spanking parlor where you're like was that a thing i thought that was like the thing that politicians in the 90s got up to i didn't realize it happened in the 80s 18... <laughs> there's a long and rich tradition yeah of spanking parlors i mean how and at one point one of the um, ladies in the spanking parlor says oh you know um th- this guy who's got sort of one of their clients who's particularly fond of coming over and over again she says oh he must be a lawyer or a priest (laughs) (laughs) there you go people in positions of power have always been wanting to do that yeah and it's interesting because it puts Franny in a position of power all of a sudden she's which is exactly why I did it because you know one of the things that I was really concerned about writing this novel is I didn't want to write a stereotypical quote-unquote slavery story you know all that stereotypical violence and so there are no there's no sort of 
conventional whipping scenes in this book. The only people who are whipped are these sort of, you know, great men of industry and power and influence who line up at the doors of the spanking brothel. Yes. Um, and the women who are doing the whipping are Franny and her friend Sal, who are, you know, ex... It's so fascinating. Uh, former, former slaves. And yeah. it's it's got that brilliant thing of it's, you know, these plot moments are surprising but feasible and that keeps you going in it because yes. you're like, wow, this must have happened. Must well, that happened. was one of the... During the time period, that was one of the ways in which women and black women in particular, and there were quite a few of them. Because how many were there in London? Could, could have uh, well, several thousand black people in London, and and quite a few notorious black, you know, sort of ladies of the night, if you will, mm. um, all sort of written about in the in the the sort of catalogues of the time, you know, where there were mag- magazines sort of talking about these women. They were superstars, yeah, and um, and and it was the most interesting bit of the novel to research, I have to say, because that sort of that aspect of Georgian society, and it was very sophisticated Jane Austen type yeah. layer of sophistication um, on the surface of this society. And then beneath it, this wonderful underbelly, mm. if you're a gothic writer. Yeah, which you, you know, can really get stuck into. Sex and sin, yeah. Yeah. How was that researching this? How was that looking at these things? I mean, there must have been that must have been quite hard at times to to read some of that stuff. Very hard, which is why the spanking parlor bits were kind of a, a release. Mm. I like to say I think I was a mistress in the spanking parlor before <laughs> my life. So the spanking <laughs> parlor is like your sort of fictional it safety was the word. Bit I went That's to when you... I yes, <laughs> isn't that an inversion? Oh That's the bit I went to when I needed some relief from yeah. the other terrible aspects of the research. I mean, some of it I had to be quite detached about. I had to treat it like work because I would otherwise get too emotional. Mm. Um, but I I always came back to why are you doing this? Because I struggled so much against the idea of writing about a slave and I didn't want to add something stereotypical. I actually wrote it almost against my will and I realized I was compelled to write about, to give Franny that background because there was still something left to say about it. Yeah. And it was that we haven't seen a character like that who's a former slave in this light, educated, in love, mm. passionate, angry yes um this is not some misery memoir thing right exactly it's the opposite of that it's the the message i really want to stress about it and i um and so even when the going got tough with the research i came back to that purpose yeah um and that kind of kept me going and it's really moving as well when she's brought over as a as a chattel and yet when she arrives in london she there's a moment where she knows she's free because she's in england slavery doesn't exist then in england right She's still stuck by by habit and by I don't know some sort of instinctual deference. She won't she yes. won't leave. Yes. Um, I don't know. I find that really sort of the invisible bars of, of, of yes. She can't possibly and escape mustn't that. that have been a so one of the things that fascinated me and led me to write the book is um, this idea of interdependence. You know the relationships within the house, mm. the love as she says, the falling love in love with your captors. Yes. All that stuff. Yeah. Sometimes the love hurts worse, and so when Franny comes to England. The only reason she's still in the position she's in is because she keeps herself there. And I thought that was there was a lot there to explore, I thought. Mm, mm, there's loads. There's lo- so much stuff going on in the book. Um, so when did this happen to you? When did you... So you did the competition. What's that competition called? The Lucy Cavendish Prize. I've got to give them a shout out Yes. Because that was a big, big part of this for And me. when did that happen for you? When did you win? Um, did you win that? I entered... No, I didn't. But you I was shortlisted. As good um, as winning it, frankly, because it's absolutely. incredibly... It such a good start for women writers, that competition. Yeah. I still remember. So I, I entered the Lucy Cavendish Prize when I was on the second year of my master's in creative writing and I only had about I think I had something like 12,000 words of the novel at that time those 12,000 words barely any of them survived I mean they were really very rough but I thought 
Well, I'll give this a go because, it, you know, if anything comes of it, it'll be a good indication. Kind yeah. of, you know, you can see where, where you are. Um, is it worth continuing? But I really didn't expect very much from it. And I actually remember entering on the very last day, almost the very last possible minute. Oh, really? And thinking, you know, Just here send you this go, off, see spending what yet another entry fee on a writing competition. And, yeah. you know, you basically earned zero from writing and spent however, however much it is. And you the don't get feedback from not, those competitions as well. Not so unless, they yeah, not unless you're placed. Exactly. And I thought, you know what, just do it. Just try it. And I actually remember emailing my husband afterwards and saying, right, well, I've done it. You know, there goes nothing. <laughs> Um, and then I was shortlisted and the, my agent was one of the judges at the time. And <clears throat> so the shortlisted entrance had a kind of feedback session. And I went along to this feedback session naively thinking that, was, that would be it. I would just get some feedback. Mm. But it was also like my rom-com movie moment. Like, oh, I'm going to be in a, in a literary agency. Yeah. I'm going to see what it's like. I remember the morning. It was one of those beautiful sunny mornings in London. And I sort of toddled along, I'm just going to soak this all in, it'll be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Got to her office and she had printed out um, the pages of my novel. And she immediately set them aside. And I thought, because I always see everything negatively, I thought, oh my God, she's so disgusted that she, <laughs> she doesn't even want to talk about these. And she did say, right, I don't want to talk about this right now. And so my heart sank. Oh no. And I thought, wow, well, she's, you know, she's just being polite. She's contractually obliged now yeah. to give me the feedback. And then she said, I'd like to offer you representation. What did and you do? I almost fell out. Well, I did start crying and then try to pretend I wasn't crying. You know, I had that sort of mental <laughs> messaging, be professional, be professional. Cry, but it cry. was the moment I had dreamed of, you know, my entire life. So mm, mm. what have you done, what um, have you done before the magic this? Moment. What had you done before this? I was a lawyer for 17 years. And that, <gasps> I, that means I was miserable for 17 years. I really was a very miserable lawyer. We had a lawyer in recently, Harriet Tice. Uh, Harriet, law. her book is amazing. I amazing. love her book. Yes. Mm, mm. And it's very true to life. So I had exactly the struggle which so many women lawyers have, you know, with with children, the career. The career is all-consuming and demands so much from you. Yeah. And it's very hard to balance that with, you know, being a parent. And how are you finding balancing um, writing now with being a parent? Well, I have to say it's also all-consuming. My Mm. children just have forgiven me. But while I was writing the novel, I was quite, you know, I was pretty much pulled into this world a lot of the time. Yeah. So how does that work now? Because are you writing a new novel now? Are you moving? I am. It's about a cult. It's completely different, but it's going to be just as dark and mess with your head just as much. So is that going to be your thing then? You're going to be gothic and kind of, is that, do you reckon that's (laughs) what you're Oh my goodness, I hope. No, I'm going to do a romantic comedy for the the third one. Great. (laughs) Gothic romance. That'd be fine. Well, this is gothic romance. Well, it is. sort of my tribute to gothic romance. Um, so, so you're writing the next one now. Well, and I'm also doing the, first of all, I'm doing the script because this uh, Franny has been optioned for television and I've been hired to write the script. Oh so How is that writing that, a that script works. compared to writing a novel? Very different, a revelation. And I think because I'm adapting my own novel, I have to take something I thought was very fixed, you know, that I'd worked so hard to get into a position I thought was fixed and kind of unscramble it and, yeah. and rework it. So it's interesting. And is this going to be a series or a film? Series. Right, okay. I love television. I think television at the moment is the best vehicle for exploring a really good long arc for a character. Yes. Much better than film. So you could opinion. see her running for series after series? No, well, no. Or just a one-on, but, uh, yeah, one series one, but, but one series where you have the time to really get into who she is and what makes her tick. It's such a fascinating world. How did you yeah. feel at the end of the book when you leave her behind? Um... Bloody relieved, to be honest, because I can be very melodramatic about the writing process, but this almost killed me. I mean, I really did. I, you know, I was one of those kind of um, 
like a like a romantic poet locked in an attic somewhere suffering for my art. Like I really did put everything into it. How do you so mean? I was glad in what to way? Because you were you were pushing, you were being pushed around to, to make it fit for what other people wanted, or no, you knew you could no, do better. No, no, just that I was completely obsessed with the book. The characters mm. never left me, especially Franny. So I didn't get a good night's sleep during the whole two year period of writing the book because wow. you know lines would wake me up and I would know that's something Franny has to say, and then I have to get up and write it down, and that would then bring on the bring back the energy of sort of you know her bubbling away yeah. inside literally really this is not a good so, advert for being a writer no i mean i can't i just have to be honest Insomnia, about it <laughs> your kids go mad because you never speak to them because you're in a I'm different a world terrible bad back now as well as a result my eyes my wrist i mean i could go on melodramatically for a very long time i love this I love so the... i was a bit glad to get to the end of the whole process you've got writer's injuries Sarah. i do i have writer's injuries but you know what i'm, I'm glad you suffered because it was worth it this book is a beautiful thing and also, Thank you so much. What a beautiful cover. Isn't it a beautiful cover? I need to give um, credit to, to the team at Viking for that. John Hamilton and mm. um, Gail Healy and Scott Heron did a, an original piece of hand-embroidered art, which no, the cover is based on. No, that's what that is, is it? And that's somewhere in the Penguin archives. It is beautiful. That's it's sort amazing. of scarlet velvet with the scissors embroidered on it. And do you have lots of different... When, when they come up with the cover, is that something you decide or do they decide? Do the publishers decide? The publishers give you input. If they're good publishers, you'll have a conversation with them about it. But this mm. one, it was um, my editor showed it to me in its early stages over lunch and I immediately said, yes, yes, that's it. It that's was like it. speed dating. I'll have this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in love with this cover. Because we do judge it, it by so the cover. Easy. We do judge yeah, it by the cover. And I'm so. happy for this one to be judged by the cover. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. There are different covers in all the different territories as well, which is interesting. So as soon oh. as you've fallen in love with one, you have to fall in love with all the others. Like having kids, yes. you can't like one better than the other. And how many kids have you got then? Five. I saw that in your bio, and I was like, <laughs> I want to talk about that. You have five children. How old are your five, kids? Five, and they're very grown up now. So the oldest uh, is 24, and the youngest is 16. Right, okay. Yes. Wow. Right, okay. But, um, have they read it? Because uh, so this is so this... The eldest has read it, and mm. to my relief, she was impressed, because I have never done anything that my kids have been impressed with before now. <laughs> so harsh. Do you have kids? If you do, I you'll do. know. Yes, yes. <laughs> do you ever do anything that impresses them, like even when this? I'm being on the radio, they're like, yeah. <laughs> Daddy's right. just talking. It's what he does at home. It's not a big deal. Exactly. We've Come heard on, this all before. Totally, yeah. He's not, it's not even a true story he's telling on the radio now. Um, but how is that? Because there's some... Well, there's, there's some pretty brutal scenes there's in Some this, challenging it? stuff in there. Yeah. So my, well, so my eldest who has read it is a reader. She's a fantastic reader and a good writer herself. Okay. Um, and so and I know she's read so widely that she will that it wouldn't be a problem for her. And the others as well, they're all good readers. I think, you know, they're mature enough, I think, to handle it. Um, mm -hmm. And kids these days anyway, they're, they're a lot more mature and well-informed than... Well, I was going to say we, but I'm sure you're much younger than I am. <laughs> well, I'll take what I said for we, yes, yes, <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think this yeah. is, yeah, I think this book's going to be absolutely huge. I think it's fantastic. And I really loved reading it, genuinely. It's brilliant. I, I can't tell you how much that means to me. Can I also say, you're going to think that I'm making this up, but I... I listen to magic when I'm writing nowadays. So come on, is, we honestly, love to hear that. I know you're you're gonna you're gonna think I was making it up. I said no. to my husband last night, I'm gonna say that I listen. Like this isn't the soundtrack of my writing Fantastic. days nowadays. Well, we do ask that question on this show actually. Uh, what do you listen to yeah. when you're when you're writing? It's so, mellow though, mellow magic. Mellow magic's yeah. great. Because I like this sort of soothing in the background. Absolutely. And, yeah. Mellow magic. It's like magic is a house and there's different rooms. You've yeah. got mellow magic. Sometimes you can slip into main magic if yeah. you want to. That's yeah. absolutely fine. As long as you stay on magic, that's good news. Um, and uh, when you are writing, do you write at home? I do. I write at home. I edit in cafes, but write at home. So you have five kids. Isn't and, I, just and I have to have my little constantly. ritual. Well, I mean, so they're, they're all most at uni now or, or the oldest is working. Mm -hmm. Um 
I have to have my little rituals as well. So it's nice to be at home. Like I have, I do have my playlists and I have my, like my coffee at the same time every morning and, yeah. you know, surrounded by all the, I got very superstitious about it. Oh, really? Yeah, well, you've got to have the superstitious. So, what, what, the what? Same, like, notebooks and my files. You know, my research is all organized by color coded folder. What, if you that don't was do the that? Lawyer then... in me coming out. Yes, it was very, it, it looked a lot like my office in my last office in a law firm by the time I'd finished. Right. And I thought, oh, how sad you are. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. The superstitions of the writing process. Yeah, That's yeah. fascinating. And then, and then it became the rituals actually then started to bring the writing. You know, it was almost like a Pavlovian thing. Mm. And I had. Had um, you know, I had music that I'd play. So like the sort of the warm up music would be something like Kendrick Lamar or Damian Marley. Yeah. And then the writing music would have to be mellow, like Nina Simone, or you know something more sort of relaxed. Okay. Um, and when you're writing, do you just disappear? Are you just that's yes. it? Yeah. Well, I try to, but then you know I end up having to sort of yell to, at the household in their general direction. Mm. Well, you keep it quiet. <laughs> <laughs> What's mum doing? She's writing about a girl in the 1820s. <laughs> Don't ask. Terrible things are happening in her head. Um, so uh, when you are when you are working, when you are writing in your in your weird superstitious surroundings, yeah. um, who is the one person who's allowed to interrupt you? Who's the one person who you don't get mad with when they interrupt you? Absolutely no one. <laughs> okay, right, fine. Anyone gets trouble. I become a real monster. Right, okay. When I'm writing. Yeah, it, because it is... It's hard to explain, but when you're trying to catch something, you'll lose it if you're interrupted yeah. and you might never get it again. And it's so hard to catch it. You know, you could spend you could spend months waiting to get a scene, to get right into it, to, to find the thing that's going to break it open. Mm. And if someone comes in saying, oh, I can't find the toilet paper when you're when you're there, you're not going to forgive them for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quite right. Um, and if there's one character from this book, the brilliant Confessions of Franny Langton, who deserves a spin-off, who you could Ooh, write? Do you oh, think? I like. That's well, I like um, Linux. Is it Linux? Linux, is it? Or Linux? the housekeeper. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. I would like to hear more of her She's story. She's very Mrs. Danvers-ish. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And I found so her. So originally, I wondered if her backstory would involve some kind of love affair with Benham. Did you get any kind of undercurrent oh, of that? Yes. Like whether no, they'd I didn't. Had anything, but of course, whether they'd had anything that they were trying to keep. Yeah. Secret. There's ancient history there. Yeah. 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 That, that works for me, yeah. Could you Linux. do that? Could you write that up for me? That'd be yeah, great. Write to Linux. Okay, I'll see if I can slip her into something else. Not the cult thing. No, I okay. thought you were going to say Sal, because everyone loves Sal, who's Franny's sidekick at the spanking parlor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't, the spanking parlor stuff I absolutely loved, but I just wanted to know what was... Go I was so obsessed with Madam. I think it, was, it would be either Madam or Linux, yeah. but I was so obsessed with Madam, I wanted to get back and find out what so on earth was going on with So there's a story about Madam which is that there, there is a whole novel about her, which ended up on the, on, on the floor, because I wrote... Originally wrote the novel from three points of view. So Franny, yeah. who's the main narrator. Mm -hmm. Benham, we have a bit of his journals thrown in there. But there were also chapters told in Madame's um, voice. Wait, where have those gone? They, they've all been cut. Where but are they? Actually, I think your comment is proof that that was right because she's so enigmatic. You mm. really do want to know more about her. And that's actually part of the beauty of a novel is when the questions it leaves you with. Mm. You know, I not I answering all of the questions, but leaving you with questions to answer for yourself. A million percent. I would not want to go inside her head, yeah. but I, I want to observe her through other people. If yes, you're with her, it absolutely. becomes something completely different. Yeah. I don't quite know why, but yeah, she's more, yeah. far more enigmatic, far more mysterious if you're just witnessing her sort of glide through the book. So I had a mood board for the characters. I never had Franny on the board, but I had some sort of images which I pulled off the internet for these characters. And okay. um, Madame was Kate Blanchett. I always sort of wanted to capture that. I think that that sort of beautiful enigmatic quality. Is this your first pitch for the cast? In that case, is that who you're going to be after? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a dream? Well, so then Laddie, who's the one of the other sort of central characters, a yeah. boxer yeah. slash speaker, 
um, was Idris Elba on my mood board. I mean, that would be a dream come true. Amazing, what so, about Franny? Franny, I never had. I never cast her, and I never had a picture for for her. Because Weird, because I, I it's always you. see her. Well, I hope see, not. I told you. But I, I do always see her from the inside. If that makes sense, I never thought. I never. Re- I mean, she she talks about herself physically, but in sketch, sort of sketched out, not really ever. Um, have the details hammered hammered down and I think that was important because maybe Franny has to be the character the reader identifies with and imagines for themselves Mm, mm. and I certainly had imagined her for myself but I didn't want to impose that on the text if that makes sense so she was she was someone I I, I saw more from the inside than the outside she's a very compelling very flawed very lovable character oh thank you so much I thoroughly enjoyed this book thank you so much uh, for coming in Sarah Collins the brilliant confessions Franny Langton. I mean, that's not what it's called. It's called The Confessions of Franny Langton. Let's it's not call called it The Brilliant, the Brilliant Confessions. Confessions. It's not as good a title. Um, it's out now. And Sarah, congratulations and good Thank luck. You. I hope this reaps lots of uh, success. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. We do loads of these. Go online, have a look at some of our older episodes and please subscribe and rate and review and all that stuff. Uh, and we'll be back soon with more of the books you love. This is the Magic Book Club podcast. Magic Book Club. 